As consumers, we are bombarded by it at every turn, like the Incredible Hulk being bombarded by gamma rays. But what makes some media endure, while others are banished to the forgotten black hole of obscurity, never to be heard from again? Who or what decides this? Hetero life mate Steve and Yehel want to know, and they want to know now. This is Obscurity Now. now, now, now. What's up, Obscurians? It's time for another episode of Obscurity Now, the show that takes a look at weird and almost forgotten pieces of media and then decides if they should be tossed into the black void of obscurity, never to be heard from again or remembered for all of human history. I'm one of your hosts, Steve, and with me is a man who's resolved to be more obnoxious, more overbearing, and there's nothing you can do about it, so you might as well learn to love it. It's... Oh, it's it's Yehel. Uh How are you doing, Stephen? <laughs> I'm doing great. Do you get the get the reference? No, no, I didn't get the reference. Actually, uh, it's like a clip that's been going around, I guess, on the talk of uh, Ric Flair. Basically, it's like a Jim Crockett interview, <laughs> and uh, uh, it's, it's basically the uh, subtitle that people put on top of it is "My New Year's Resolution," and he says that he's going to be more obnoxious, more overbearing. And you might as well learn to love it because there's nothing you can do about it. Ah, okay. <laughs> well, um, no, I, I, I missed out on that, uh, which is fine. It's fine. I, I'm about Rick Flared out these days. What? Uh, oh. he's, got a, he's got another documentary out, man. This is like the fourth. In, like, we don't need to know this much. Right. <laughs> I agree with you. But, I mean, this is a classic Rick Flair, right, where the man just needs money, doesn't really care about things like uh, dignity. <laughs> And uh, <laughs> so he's uh, willing to, or the word, or the word, or the words, no, please stop. Right. He doesn't care about that either. Well, I mean, he's got uh, <laughs> he's got child support and wives to pay. I, I probably not child support. Oh, that's anymore. not what I was referring to. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, I get what you're referring. Ouch! Uh, wow. <laughs> Nowhere to go from uh, nowhere to go there except down. That's that that was the problem. They had nowhere to go from there. They they couldn't escape. They had no choice but to learn to love it. Uh, I mean, Space Mountain. Ooh, I don't think so. I don't. Well, we should just move on. Steve, hey, you to brought this movie it there. About, let's like you brought it there. Let's lighten this up uh, by discussing uh, New Year's Evil, a movie about murder. Is it about murder? I mean, it's barely about uh, New Year's Eve. Um. Yeah, so uh, we're here. It's uh, New Year's Day. I'll just go ahead and give you an official uh, Happy New Year's. Oh, yeah, Happy New Year's to you, too, I mean, Steve. do you care about New Year's? I really don't. No, I, I don't care too much about Christmas, either. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Wait, too late. Hey, you had, like, three, four episodes to shit on Christmas, so that's, uh, let, let's just leave Christmas. Oh, I, I, I mean, I, I know, I know other people out there like it. I mean, it's just, it's just, it's fine. Well, I like the time off from work. It's just not my I'm thing. Just saying, why bring it up, man? Christmas is in the past, dude. We gotta move forward. It's 2023. <laughs> all right, man. Well, if you say so. The next, uh, five um, episodes but, are all gonna be about VR again. <laughs> <laughs> now, that's the ticket. That, that's, that's the real holiday, that, yeah, VR, VR day in January. But uh, but no, yeah, this is uh, New Year's Evil. It's a horror movie from uh, the 1980s. Uh, should we just uh, dive right in? Yeah, sure. Let's get All into right, it. All right, here we go. 
Welcome to your feature presentation. I just wanted to get more into about the fact that neither of us went out for New Year's because, uh, well, I see, I think that's kind of funny that you didn't go out because you pretty much, I mean, don't you pretty much go out every weekend? <laughs> you specifically uh, <laughs> not chose not to. Not necessarily, but I, I've never like really done uh, anything like out and about on New Year's Eve. There's just too many uh, amateur drunks, you know, and I'm, I'm a professional. <laughs> just Steven, like one Ric Flair, handle. yeah. <laughs> exactly. Well, uh, he doesn't know how to handle himself. Uh, despite <laughs> how much he drinks, he seems to be an amateur um, oh, wow. based on his actions. But I don't, I, uh, I don't yeah, think I like, like your heel turn towards Ric Flair. I don't, I don't like it one bit. Oh, I, I mean, I've, th I've thought he's a terrible person for a long, long time. I mean, I mean, he is a terrible, one of the all-time greats in the ring, of course. Uh, super entertaining. He can cut a promo like nobody else. But, you know, he is also basically uh, a fan of committing sexual assault. <laughs> so. But it was the 80s, just like uh, New Year's Eve. <laughs> ah, that's not what he stopped. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Well, we just got demonetized. Uh, not that we were ever monetized to begin with. Uh, so, uh, yeah, speaking of, don't worry, Ric Flair will find a way to monetize this. <laughs> right. I'm, he's going to give us the Ric Flair bump, uh, somehow. Um, so yes, uh, speaking of the 1980s, uh, we're talking about new year's evil. A, uh, originally I pitched it to you as this, uh, new Year's slasher horror, but it's really more of a thriller. I'd say, um, what do you think? in terms of genre. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I'd go with that as well. Um, definitely was less horror slasher, more thriller. Yeah, more kind of psycho and less uh, like Halloween or Friday the 13th. Um, but uh, yeah. Yeah, so it premiered December 19th, 1980. It runs about one hour, 25 minutes, and it's rated R. Um, and... Uh, in case you don't want this movie spoiled for you by us, because we're going to talk through the whole plot, what little plot there is. And uh, <laughs> you can go watch it right now on Amazon Prime. Uh, I would say for free, but for the cost of an Amazon Prime uh, membership. You guys know. How. Actually, Steve, actually, Steve, you're lying. It is no longer available on Amazon Prime. It's no longer available on Tubi. It's no longer available on Paramount Plus. It was available at all those places yesterday. Ooh. So I guess uh, like whatever licensing deal, you know, it's up through um, expired. Uh, however, uh, much to my chagrin, because I watched it today. Oh, wow. Uh, thankfully, somebody uploaded it to YouTube, though. Uh, and uh, it's in really, really good quality. So you can watch it on YouTube for free if you just search for uh, New Year's Evil 1980. Well, I'm. So sorry, you had to hunt for it. You should have just let me know. I would have hooked you up, just like. Oh, I mean, I mean, it, it literally took like ten seconds to find it. <laughs> well, yeah. Way to go, way to persevere. That's the obscurity now way. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, new year, new me, Steve. I don't reach out to you for shit. <laughs> well, you've, you've never reached out to me for shit. <laughs> I mean, sometimes if I can't find. I mean, I used to have to pretty much be your uh, chauffeur in Tampa because you didn't have the. Well, you had the... Well, Steve, like Christmas, that's in the past. <laughs> oh, you don't want to relive those days where 
I was basically your Alfred <laughs> to you being It was, it was so long ago, Stephen. Uh, and who then, knows what happened? What made it even sadder is that I had to drive your car because my car kept breaking down. <laughs> <laughs> oh man see steve we, we, it's like we were two halves of a real adult. we were wow and, uh... we, we really were that's just like that seinfeld where jerry and george uh team up so jerry can date this girl because she's like really busy or something but um anyway uh you know the important questions here you hell and that is do you did you have any history had you ever even heard of new year's evil prior uh, to me recommending that we watch it and talk about it uh, no, I had not. However, uh, when you told me about it, the first thing I did was go, I was going to go look for it on Tubi and funny enough Tubi recommended it to me before I even, uh, looked for it. Then I promptly proceeded to not watch it. There. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> well played, sir. Well played. And, uh, what about you, man? How, how did you find out about this? Um, I have, I had heard of it. I, I had heard of it. I'd seen clips of it here and there. I think um, it's one of those where I probably started watching and then it got late and then I had to go to bed and then I never went back and finished it because uh, I remember a lot of the scenes in the club with, uh, I mean, it's not a club. I guess it's technically a studio um, with the bands and stuff and being sort of Mm -hmm. uh, befuddled by the way the crowd looked versus how the band sounded. But uh, we'll get to that in a moment. Uh, For those of you who are unfamiliar with New Year's Evil, here's a synopsis. During a New Year's Eve celebration, a Los Angeles disc jockey receives a phone call saying that when New Year's strikes in each time zone, someone will be murdered and she will be the last one. And uh, this was directed by one Emmett Alston. And uh, he's got quite the filmography. Uh, he's done uh, Force of the Ninja, Tiger Shark, in no way related to the animated series Tiger Sharks. Just, uh, you know, because I know you were thinking that, but it's not. Yeah, yeah, that, that was my main concern. But uh, his first film, oh man, this is, which also can be viewed on YouTube. It's called Three-Way Weekend. And uh, I'm going to go ahead and read the synopsis for that because... Yeah, I noticed I noticed that you uh, included this in your... Uh... <laughs> And, and the show format you sent me. And I was like, wait, are we covering this instead? I was really confused. I, mean, I just think it's funny and more people should know about yeah, this. Yeah. Probably never watch it. I actually tried to watch a little bit of it on uh, YouTube, but uh, it's pretty bad. Anyway, the synopsis for Three Way Weekend is as follows. Two bisexual girls go camping in the woods and are followed around by a perverted guy in a gorilla mask and a man in uniform with a whip who thinks everyone's a communist. Strange sexual encounters ensue, and other people show up out of nowhere. They do drugs, and an incomprehensible plot follows. This is like a like a weekend at Mar-a-Lago. Yeah, <laughs> yeah or, or Epstein Island. Everyone's a communist! Yeah, Epstein Island also. Uh, there you go. Now, if we weren't demonetized before, now we are. Uh, so this was actually uh, written, and by this, I mean New Year's Evil. Uh, put Three-Way Weekend, you know, in the back of your mind, and you can watch it later. We won't judge. It's okay. But uh, the writers of New Year's Evil, as as follows. Emmett Alston is responsible for the story, the aforementioned director, but the hard work was done by Leonard Neubauer, and he's known for a bunch of movies I've never heard of before called... 
in the name of Black Snake, Run for the Hills, and The Lady Wants Justice. And uh, New Year's Evil was his uh, final film. And uh, I'd say uh, for good reason. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And uh, the production company responsible for New Year's Evil is my favorite and possibly the internet uh, hipster community's favorite, the Canon Group. And what I'd like to know is what's your experience uh, with Canon films? I can let me throw out a few of them. I'm sure you must have seen at least seen Masters of the Universe, Superman Four, mm-hmm. Cobra with uh, Sylvester Stallone, and the American Ninja uh, a series. Uh, did you see any of those? Are you familiar with Canon? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I recognize Canon. Like I couldn't remember offhand. Um like what movies of theirs I had watched or whatever, but I recognize the name and the logo right away. Uh, but yeah, I've, I've seen all those movies that, that you uh, mentioned. So it's not like they're nobody. Right. Right. Well, um, it's just one of those, uh, I don't know, kind of graduated to sort of like a cult, you know, following since, you know, they ran themselves out of business after bankrupting themselves with the masters of the universe, <laughs> basically. Um, but I mean, it's weird. Uh, it wasn't until I watched the documentary on Canon, I don't know, like 10 years ago, where I realized that, oh my gosh, that was a Canon movie. And I had seen so many of them like as a uh, <laughs> prepubescent teenage boy, and they just uh, stuck with me for so long, mostly due to <laughs> the mindless violence that a lot of them have. <laughs> yeah, did you read uh, that at one point, Canon had the rights to make Spider-Man yeah, movies. Yeah, I, I did know that. Yeah. In fact, like, if I'm not... No, wait. No, that's not the, the case. There's something with uh, Cyborg where their sets were... They were either from... They were supposed to be from the Spider-Man movie that didn't get made, so they just used, used them to make Cyborg, you know, the one with Van Damme. Did you ever hear that? Uh-huh. No, I, I was not aware yeah, of that. Yeah. Well, I mean, we could talk for canon. For I didn't want this to be our first canon movie that we talk about, but whatever, here we are. Why don't you tell me who are some of the actors involved in uh, this masterpiece? <laughs> All right, well, I'm not going to go over really like what they did after because, uh, I mean, nobody really did anything of note from what I could mm-hmm. see. But first up, we've got Kip Niven. He plays uh, our killer. Uh, Spoiler alert. Well, I mean, we find out like in like the first 10 minutes, right. don't we? Uh, <laughs> I, I, wait, did, did I misunderstand something in the movie? Because like we well, we'll get yeah. into it. Um, but anyways, he plays the killer. Um, I didn't really see anything particularly noteworthy that he did i mean he's certainly been in movies that like and from what i remember he acted the longest like his last film was in 2019 yeah, I saw that. a lot of these other people yeah a lot of these other people like their latest this movie came out in 1980 and for a lot of people their latest or most recent credit was like 1985 mm-hmm. or something like that you know so um he at least had um a decent career he's got 93 credits on imdb so not bad at all uh but you know a lot of bit parts in TV series, like one-offs and that kind of a thing. Um, did you have something to add about uh, Kip Niven? Are you a Kip head? <laughs> Kip head. 
Um, not really. I mean, I would say the one movie that stands out to me uh, in his IMDb is uh, Earthquake. You ever watch Earthquake? Or yeah, I never watched it, but I mean, I heard of it, and obviously there was a Universal Studios <laughs> I'd ride. Say the ride is probably more Basically. well known than the actual movie. Um, but I, I did watch that movie at one point. But yeah, for the most part, you're right. I mean, <laughs> who cares about the Waltons <laughs> and Falcon Crest? <laughs> well, Chips, I, I saw an episode. I saw an episode of Walton, the Waltons before uh, as a kid, and it's shit. Oh, oh well, it's you did boring. leave out Knight Rider. You got to mention Knight Rider, and uh, there's actually he's not the only person that was on Knight Rider. One of the female uh, actors was also on Knight Rider. Simon and Simon. So don't let anybody on Knight Rider, <laughs> basically, <laughs> including David Asselhoff. Um, but uh, anyways. Moving along, we've got Roz Kelly, who plays Diane Sullivan, the wife of uh, Richard Sullivan. Uh, her last credit was in 1983. And again, lots of bit parts here and there. She did guest star in an episode of Charlie's Angel. Mm. So, and The Love Boat, Kojak. Um, so, oh, yeah, wow. nothing she really. Was in, uh, um, the animated film American Pop. You ever see that? I've never even. Heard oh, it's of it. uh, really good. We might have to consider doing that one. Um, but yeah, for the most, it's weird. Like it seems much like the aforementioned Kip Niven. Yeah, she's mostly a TV actress um, who got <laughs> roped into doing this movie somehow. Yeah. Um, and up next, we've got Grant Kramer, who plays Derek Sullivan. He is the son of Richard and Diane Sullivan, two uh, characters I just uh, went over. And he's still doing stuff. Uh, he only has 38 credits. And to be fair, one of his 20, his only 2022 credit is the Hother, Hother, Horror Heathens podcast. So I'm assuming he was on there talking about this. Uh, this. But he does have some stuff from like 2021 and 2014. So, um, But yeah, I didn't really see anything else of note that he did. Looks like a lot of horror stuff like a low budget horror mm. kind of stuff um nothing really uh interesting uh, but i will say this movie is his first uh at least i guess like movie that he mm. did this first acting credit on imdb that is interesting uh then we've got chris wallace who i mostly know from the evening news <laughs> but uh <laughs> he plays lieutenant clayton um and again really He's actually got some stuff more recently, something in 2019, but eh, nothing of note, so I'm not oh, going to go over there it. There is one thing of note, and that is the Incredible Hulk TV show. Oh, like the one with... Um... Yep. Okay. Um, so, yeah, so there's that. Uh, we've got Jed Mills, who plays Ernie, who I can't even remember who Ernie was. I think he was one of the... Uh, was he one of the guys helping the, the detectives? No, no, he is um, her agent, um, Diane's agent. Oh, that's yeah. right, that's right, that's right. He's the one that, like, tells, okay, yeah, 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 I remember now. Um, and, yeah, like him, like almost everybody else, nothing really of note. He does, his most recent thing is 2017. It was a short. He was in Quantum Leap and an episode of Seinfeld, yeah, so. Good for him. Oh, and an episode of Twin Peaks, Steve. <gasps> Twin Peaks connection. So that makes you happy. It does make me happy. <laughs> I, I really don't recognize yeah, he was him also, at all, though. <laughs> well, he was also in an episode of The Incredible Hulk. Nice. Oddly nice. enough. So. Um, but, yeah, I mean, and most of the rest of the cast are people we don't interact with too much. Just people that get killed. Uh, so I'm not going to go over them. Mm -hmm. Um, we do have two cops, which I couldn't really tell from 
IMDb who's the who played the cops. I can't remember yeah, their the names. The hero one at the end uh, is named uh, Sergeant Green, and ironically, played by John yeah, Green. They put a lot of thought into that. <laughs> and, and like both are spelled with an yeah, E at the end. Yeah. Like they really put no thought. I could just it. see him showing up to work, and he's like, "Uh, well, what's my name?" It's like, "Yeah, how about uh, Sergeant Green?" <laughs> like. <laughs> okay yeah but um um that's pretty much like the people i felt were of note or worth mentioning in the cast um unless, there are some people like in these bands that they have playing um at the show which i'm sure you'll get into and i didn't really look into any of them i don't know if you know if those were like real musicians or... yeah they were real bands uh the as we're about to see the opening band is called shadow and then there's another one that takes the stage called uh made in japan and i could have sworn i had heard that name before like as a band so like i was like oh maybe these are like actual bands yeah um but uh yeah you ready to jump into the walkthrough Let's do it. Sips his alcohol. What are you? What are you sipping? It's a lemonade and vodka. Uh, Mm -hmm. All right, so here we go. We open with the beautiful Canon logo, which actually it's not the typical uh, Canon logo that you would see if you were to watch uh, Death Wish or Cyborg. But I'm always happy to see it, no matter uh, what film it, it precedes. So we open on a wide shot of a city at night. Um, it ends up being uh, Los Angeles, and uh, there's a spooky synthy music swells in the background. Now we're inside a dressing room, and a woman is getting way too much makeup put on her face by uh, like a hair and makeup lady as her uh, sleazy manager uh, yells at her to hurry up. And uh, this is a Diane, who's also known as D. And her her hair manager, uh, Bernie, she tells him to relax, and she tells him to go get Yvonne on the phone. And then uh, we see, uh, and then we cut to another scene of Yvonne, uh, a smartly dressed woman, entering an apartment. As the phone rings, she answers and talks to the, um, ends up talking to D. They talk about uh, Richard, who is D's husband, and uh, basically they're like, oh. He's drunk. He's nowhere to be found. He's not answering the phone, which ends up being important later. Uh, the makeup lady complains to, or D complains to the manager about Richard. And then um, they show uh, Yvonne again. And man, does uh, do you think she has enough stuff in her hair? <laughs> <laughs> uh, she sure has a lot. There's a lot of interesting uh, fashion and uh just thought of interesting choices. Yeah, yeah. This this is this definitely movie. a time capsule movie. Uh, where, oh, yeah. Yeah, which is one of the few. <laughs> I mean, if you're looking for that kind of movie, this would be the one to watch. You know, one thing that's interesting about the movie visually to me is like, so this movie was released in 1980. So presumably probably filmed in 79, mm-hmm. right? Maybe even 78. Um, but the movie, like usually with these early 80s movies, there's kind of like a hodgepodge of fashion and trends from the 70s and a little bit from the 80s but this really feels like straight up 80s to me right um Um, yeah i would say late um 70s at least uh when we get to like the styles of the so-called new waivers that start showing up um right and i think that's why it's because of the new waivers that's probably why it's less 70s because you're not going to see people like in 
you know, uh, leisure suits or like, you know, uh, what's that material that all that suit was made of in the 70s? Polyester, well, you know, go to that discotheque uh, later on. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, they do. You know what, Steve? I'll just. <laughs> <you're right. laughs> no, I can't do it without you. Uh, but who who will pretend to laugh at my unfunny jokes if you're not around? Um, <laughs> I mean, no one bothered to show up at the chat today for some reason. They're all drunk and hungover, I bet. Um, yeah, you yeah. know how. I mean, they probably assumed we would have taken New Year's Day off. Well, like a we normal... already took Christmas off. I mean, my God. Like, I I don't know. I'm I'm glad we're doing the show. Fuck New Year's. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Uh, so yeah, um, Yvonne begins to de-makeup, basically, you know, she's, uh, she hears a uh, water dripping in her shower, and I guess, uh, we're supposed to assume that maybe someone is in there, because the synth score starts swelling mm-hmm. again. She opens it and, uh, turns it down a bit, and then does the classic sort of horror movie t- trope, asks, who's there? She asks to no one. Oh yeah, because she heard her door creak open. And uh, she goes and checks it. No one's there. And then um, she goes in. She hears the shower uh, creeping again or, you know, uh, dripping again. She goes in there and tries to turn it down once again. And then a man with a mask extends a switchblade and they disappear behind the shower curtain. And all we hear is her muscle muffled screams and stabbing noises. So what did you think of our cold open? You hell. Uh, I mean, it was fine. Uh, I was hoping, like, I'm, at first I was like, oh, okay, so I guess this is going to be, like, a slashery kind of movie. Um, a lot of the violence here is implied. You don't really, like, see the stabbing because it happens behind the shower curtain and stuff, but I thought it was fine. Uh, what, what did you think? Yeah, I mean, as far as setting up this kind of movie, it does, you know, all the sort of standard tropes are there, like... Right. You're watching right. this for the first time, which I guess this is my first time watching it all the way through. Like, you're gonna see a lot of cliches that have been done like a million times that have been like at this point like parodied, <laughs> and um, so yeah, you're gonna have to like sort of put that stuff behind you if you want to enjoy this movie uh, at all. Um, but uh, yeah, and I will say I was kind of disappointed because like, canon is known for being pretty exploitative <laughs> and uh, sleazy. And uh, yeah, since there there really wasn't much to many of the kills in this at all. You're right. They were def- a lot of the violence is implied. And um, yeah, I don't know. Depending on what you're looking for, you, you might be disappointed with that. But uh, I guess as far as like sort of like your typical setup a slasher kind of film, uh, it's decent. Um, Moving on, we basically get our opening credits, and uh, the opening song plays, and uh, it is by the aforementioned band uh, Shadow, and you're gonna hear the song yet again later on. And um, so there, yeah, not even too too long from <laughs> exactly. now. Exactly, and it's showing all these. What I would say is like this sort of kind of typical um, '70s New York style, like punk rockers, like a lot of like black leather and stuff like uh, getting in all getting into a car, getting ready to go stuff and go do stuff. And, you know, they're ready for a night on the town basically. So you see them and then this uh, music plays and it's to me, it sounds like cheesy seventies kind of glam rock with their harmonies and stuff. How would you describe the opening theme? 
Yeah, it, it is weird. It is a little like glam rocky, like like you said, but everybody else in the movie, like as far as uh, the police and even like what uh, what was the the host's name, Diane, uh, uh, how she views yeah. herself, Blaze. Excuse me. Uh, they like view it like you know like it's satanic music almost or something. Like it's so weird. Right. Well, at this time, it was still dangerous to like be a punk rocker, but. This just doesn't sound like a typical... They don't feel or look very punk rockish to me. Well, some of them, I guess, like, looked at, but the music didn't that's, feel that's very punk That's the thing, is that the, this particular song, not only is it not very uh, punk, it's not even very, like, new wave. Uh, it's just, yeah, it sounds uh, like the music supervisor at Canon <laughs> doesn't know anything about punk or new wave and was just like, eh, this has got a drive and beat. Let's throw yeah. it in there. They do know all about cyborgs. So. <laughs> they they eventually learn about them uh, later on in Cannon's uh, career. So, yeah, okay. So basically these punk rockers are getting into mischief. Um, and, oh, I, I made sure to note that this was edited by Dick Brummer, <laughs> which is just a funny name, I think. He's always a, a Brummer. I, He's I a agree. real Brummer. <laughs> uh, so a, a car full of punk rockers uh, exit at what we later find out is to be a studio. Uh, they mess with a uh, security guard. And this is the second time that we see uh, what we think is going to be a switchblade into play. And then it ends up just being a switch comb. Have you, <laughs> have you ever uh, decided to uh, threaten someone with a, the possibility of being stabbed by a switchblade, but then it's really just a switch comb? No, no, no. I, I can't say I have, Steve. Uh, I just go straight to uh, to actual stabbing. How about you? <laughs> I just, uh, I'm always combing my hair with a switch comb. It makes me feel like a man. I just want everyone to know exactly, that. Exactly, exactly. So uh, anyway, uh, what I also love is that this security guard, along with pretty much all the other security guards and like side cops, like in this movie, Ha are the worst actors like ever filmed like did you notice that like how bad a lot of like the cops are in this yeah yeah yeah, yeah. well this is pretty like, num bad. bad number one here so now we're back with d or diane or blaze whatever you want to call her and sh her son derek shows up uh, with flowers and i guess derek is an actor he tells mom that he got a new acting gig and she doesn't care I guess the idea is that she's just uh, too into herself or at least into the show because, I mean, it is like she's about to go live on a national like TV show here and uh, here Derek right. shows up and is like, oh, pay attention to me, mom. And uh, I mean, he's not that young. He's got to be at least like, uh, what, 18, I 19? I was just going to say Derek looks like, dude, I, I would, I'm thinking like maybe even as late 20s possible. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But mid twenties, at least, he he looks only like a few years younger than his mom. Yeah, and I think a lot of that has to do with the makeup his mom like that. They right. Yeah. Her. Uh, she probably looks even younger. Do you think? Uh, I don't know if I should ask this later on, but I mean, basically, as we move through, we we discover that Diane is the host of this like new wave. It's basically T TRL. Was that what that show was called? Total Request Live? It's TRL yeah, for like yeah, yeah. New Wave on New Year's back in 19 in the 1980s. Like do you think she was the right choice for this role or cuz it was weird cuz I could see like they need someone who's old enough to be a mom 
but then like still young enough looking to be like a cool like rock and roll chick like hot or whatever you think she was the right choice I don't know, man, but I, I, I'll tell you what, like I just looked it up and she was actually 19 years older than uh, the guy that plays her son. Wow. She's well, well uh, yeah, preserved. Yeah, so she looks great for her and, age. And Derek uh, must have been like hitting the, the coke back then or something. <laughs> well, here's the thing. So she was born in 1942, so that would have put her at 38 when this mm-hmm. came out. You know, so she probably filmed this at when she was 37, something mm-hmm. like that. So, yeah, I mean, this kid, I you hit it right on the head. He would have been at the most 19, 18, something like that. So he's got an older-looking face. Uh, <laughs> right. Right. So, uh, so yeah, basically the whole point of this scene is that um, Derek wants mommy's approval. She's basically too busy to give it. And uh, he's sort of just, uh, let's see, Derek tells his mommy got a new gig, too busy. Yeah. You, you, you know, one thing I forgot to mention, Steve, is did you recognize uh, who Derek? Because I did recognize the guy that plays Derek from uh, a famous, I don't know if we'd call it a horror movie, but it's definitely like categorizes that, like another 80s cult classic. No, I didn't. He is one Michael Tobacco from Killer Clowns from Outer Space. Oh, yeah. I think uh, while I was looking for images, I think I saw... Uh... A picture of him uh, with uh, with the killer clowns. Oh, man, <laughs> man, wow, good for him. I would I would love to be involved with killer clowns from outer space. I know killer clowns is awesome. Yeah, yeah. Anyways, I uh, just wanted to throw that in before. I forgot. Well, yeah. Continue. Basically, Diane is too busy dressing like a prostitute from Streets of Rage, um, and then <laughs> Derek sort of uh, he sort of storms out and says he wants to call his dad, who uh, we're told he's in Palm Springs. And uh, now we are inside the studio uh, for this show, which is called Hollywood Hotline. And uh, how would you, I mean, how would you describe this set? I mean, it's very like, you know, late 70s, early 80s looking set. Um, your red neon. I, um, mm-hmm. yeah, people sitting it, out there with phones, like <laughs> regular old landlines waiting uh, for calls for uh, requests. Yeah, I, at first I was, dude, it's funny. I had looked down for a minute and when I looked back up, I'm like, what, is there a telethon yeah. going it was, on? It was so weird. Because <laughs> it was set up like a telethon, but I guess they were just taking like people's opinions on like what they thought the best new wave song of uh, the year was. And uh, I don't know why you need a phone bank to do that, but uh, I guess you do. Uh, yeah. Real, real strange, yeah, but, was... you know, I, I mean, telethons were like a thing uh, in the 70s and 80s, very popular. So I, I guess maybe that's why they did it. I guess. Uh, like you said, this movie is definitely a time capsule. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, basically, I mean, you just painted a pretty good picture there. It's a MTV style variety call in show set with a live band and a rowdy crowd filled with punk rockers or new waivers like i feel like they didn't want to use the word punk like so they kept calling it a new wave or something um but uh mm. anyway hosted by diane uh aka uh, who was known as blaze on this show uh another thing i found kind of hard to believe is that uh, you know if, if these were like real and i get that this is an attempt by canon to like cash in on like punk and new wave which was like huge at the time but like if you're into that stuff you're not gonna go watch a 
a band play at like a on a sterilized or sterilized like TV studio set uh, because number one they're probably not going to let you in and like number two you know there's going to be all these rules you're not going to be allowed to smoke you're not going to be allowed to I'm, I mean they they let them mosh I guess so that's one thing I don't know is it or oh, I don't know See, that's you're being very generous with moshing they just kind of let them. <laughs> Very lightly touch yeah. each other's shoulders. So you find it. Hard, uh, we do have broken. You find it hard to believe uh, too. Sorry, I just want. Yeah, yeah, very hard to believe. Uh, we have uh, broken bread in the chat. Just wanted to say hello to them. Uh, but yeah, not only was the moshing like not very moshy, but did you notice like the weird like overdub of like feet shuffling that they added? Uh, the, not really. I mean, moshing? now that you mention it, uh, it's. Uh... I guess I get what you're talking about, but yeah, it didn't really dawn on me at first. Yeah, and the thing is, like, they clearly, and which is a very common thing, right? To overdub sounds like that, but it's the whenever they recorded, like, whatever audio they used to dub it in, it's only like two or maybe three people shuffling their feet around, but they're showing like, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50 people, so it doesn't like line up out of it. It really took me out of this fine, fine. Right, thing. and I mean, and on top of that, you got the fact that. <laughs> You've got Shadow the band up there playing these non really moshy songs. Like for it's like they're like they're the wrong band for that crowd. Um, and I almost thought yeah. that or maybe or maybe it's the wrong crowd for these bands. Yeah, that, I really yeah, don't either know. way they don't match up and it's just weird watching it, especially when they get to the one song where it's like a real slow song and the guy like the yeah like i'm like this is the least punk rock thing i've ever seen they're like moshing even doing their shitty fake moshing even slower right. it's so weird like again i just assume that the people at canon just had no idea what uh real punk and new wave was uh but anyway so they're gonna be counting down the top new wave songs they have tv showing like a live feed of all the other time zones so since, since this one takes place in Los Angeles, that's already takes care of, uh, you know, Pacific Standard Time. And you got one in New York, one in Chicago and Aspen, which like, was that a happening like city at the time? I just thought it was so random. Yeah, I thought it was random, too. I don't know. Maybe, maybe it was, uh, you know, for their aren't there like uh, famous ski resorts oh, yeah, there? Because maybe, there was uh... also a huge like a boom in skiing back then with all those stupid ski schools. Yeah. Movies. Yeah. That's what I'm... one of these days we're going to yeah, cover that's them what I'm too. Thinking. Yeah. So blaze answers uh, phones live on the air. Like she gets some jokey ones. Uh, it really harkened back to a much better movie in the WNUF, um, you know, Halloween oh. <laughs> tape to me, it just, it just sort of mm -hmm. reminded me of that. And a guy calls in, and he's got a weird, uh, like, distorted voice. And it's funny because she says, oh, you sound like uh, the Phantom. And I, do you know what that is a callback to? It's a popular movie no, at the time. No, I don't. Brian De Palma's Phantom of the Paradise. Have you ever seen that movie? I've never even oh, heard of it. Oh, man, you're in for a treat. We're going to have to put that on the list. But uh, anyway, uh, so he calls and tells her, to, um, says, call me evil. And he's going to commit murder at midnight and kill someone close to her. Uh, so the band plays the same song we heard at the beginning. And Blaze, uh, she sort of storms off uh, stage and then asks Bernie, her manager, for more uh, police protection. And uh, he's like, oh, but we already got some. And she's like, well, give me more. 
and uh and yeah very right back of yeah, her for sure uh, uh i guess broken bread has seen that phantom movie because they said uh that movie rips. yes it does yes it does uh so yeah then there's some more um footage of the quote-unquote punks quote-unquote moshing and uh to the song the opening song and it's just hilarious because it doesn't sync up at all and uh meanwhile uh a man we see a man taking something out of his trunk uh and he runs into the crawford sanitarium now uh this man uh, he ends up being the uh quote-unquote evil this is evil uh and we at this point we don't really know uh his relation to uh blaze aka diane or anyone in the film you don't even know he's a killer at this point you really just see a man take something out of his trunk and runs into the crawford sanitarium and uh there's a uh, cook who's cleaning up after hours he doesn't see him sneak in inside the sanitarium <laughs> they show the patients uh they're watching hollywood hotline and they're uh dan and they're moshing just about the same level as the people like at hollywood hotline show what, what do you think about the um uh, how they're uh, portraying these uh, mentally disturbed individuals in this film uh, I mean, they, they seem very fun-loving. Uh, yeah, they're just portrayed as fun. They're almost portrayed more as just like being kind of simple-minded and right, dumb right. than uh, mentally handicapped or deranged or having mental health sure. issues. So, but you know, it's it's a somewhat stereotypical depiction of that stuff back in the uh, '80s and stuff. This, so, not too right. And this must have been before Ronald Reagan shut down all the uh, the public uh, mental institutions. But uh, anyway, moving on, um, a sexy nurse takes a smoke break and uh, runs into the mystery man, a.k.a. Evil. He says that County sent him over, and she buys it, no problem. And uh, he asks if they can have some champagne together, and she's game. Like, sexy nurse, she's just, it's New Year's, she's up yeah. for anything, and we're... She, she, uh, we should we should add she was smoking a cigarette in the uh, hall of the hospital she was walking down <laughs> it was the 80s baby it was uh no i know everything I know. was allowed back then uh no it's, i mean i do remember i mean you know that when i was little like you could smoke in uh uh parts of the hospital i just remember at my uh grandmother's house like all my uncles just puffing away and i'm like right there six years old breathing in all that secondhand smoke Luckily, it mm. didn't give me Bane damage. <laughs> Sorry, bad joke. Anyway, uh, <laughs> so they start drinking and then dancing. Uh, and then uh, we're back at Hotline, and the punks are slow moshing to a slow song that we talked about earlier. And uh, then uh, Ernie brings uh, two more cops to meet D, and one of them is uh, Lieutenant Ed, uh, the guy who was in The Incredible Hulk. Uh, the cops blame uh, D's audience. Like, basically, he's like, you got to expect this kind of stuff dealing with your audience. But he says they're going right. to help anyway. And this is when, like, I started thinking, like, you know, what is the... If this movie has, like, a particular theme or something, like, are they going to try to somehow tie this into, like, uh, the punk rock crowd or something? Um, but uh, but no, it never really happens. <laughs> um, nope. Sure does. Yeah. D uh, calls up to Yvonne, um, and on the TV behind her, for some reason, they felt a need to show, I guess, the, uh, the singer of uh, Shadow 
uh, licking the microphone. I guess they thought that that would be, I don't know, funny or weird or punk rocky or something. Yeah, it's real edgy. Yeah, yeah. I remember when you used to lick the microphone when we were on stage, and I'd be like, whoa, no, That's bro, right. that is unsanitary. It's too much. Yeah, I remember you, uh, you, you, left, uh, you, you left a show once. Just uh... <laughs> I was really offended. Very offended yeah. and a little turned on. Uh, definitely not. But uh, well, I mean, I did see the masturbating <laughs> in the court. Well, you were deep throating <laughs> the mic. What am I supposed to do? Well, <laughs> so uh, D asked Derek where Yvonne is. Derek says he can't reach his dad and can't reach Yvonne. He starts telling her something, but then she hangs up. Derek t- takes some weird-looking pills and starts looking really unstable, like just out of nowhere. Um, now we are back with a sexy nurse and uh, evil, and they are uh, making out. And I guess it only took like 10 minutes. I mean, I guess that's just the magic of one, uh, what was his name again? Uh, Niven <laughs> or something. Yeah, just, yeah. Uh, Kip Niven, Kip I think. Kip Niven. I mean, with a name like that, how could you not make out with him? <laughs> so uh, the mental patients look on as the nurses put hats on them. <laughs> I mean, that might be considered a little uh, degrading, but whatever. It was, uh, it's New Year's. What are you going to do? So uh, the um, nurse and uh, Kip Niven continue making out, and out of nowhere, he stabs her. And uh, I don't know. I have to say, after this murder... I was starting to lose a little hope just because it was, again, like off camera. And uh, I don't know. I think I just wanted more creativity in the kills than just the old, you know, razor gimmick. What do you think? Yeah, I totally agree. I I will say towards the end of the movie's climax, there's um, the elevator stuff I thought was pretty creative. Mm -hmm. We'll get into that. Uh, But, man, it also felt like too little too late. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I definitely feel that. Um, So now... We are back at uh, Hotline Hollywood. A new band plays, and uh, it sounds a little bit better than Shadow. This is uh, made in Japan. Uh, This sounds like it actually should be moshed to. Um, I don't know. Do you remember this particular? No, they were better. Yeah, 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 they were definitely better, uh, especially compared to the other ones. Right, So uh, Evil calls D again and plays the recording of him murdering the nurse. He tells her where to find the body and hangs up. Now we're back at the sanitarium. And I don't know, the way they shot this kind of felt like filler. I don't know, maybe they were sort of building to some suspense. Uh, but any the the nurse, a different nurse um, from Sexy Nurse, she sort of wanders the hall, like calling out her name. Then she finds her like in a closet with her throat cut. What did you think of that scene? Sorry, I had to sneeze. Um, and that's what I thought of it. Um, I mean, it was fine. Again, like you said, like the kill itself wasn't very exciting. So like the reveal of her like wasn't all that great either. Right. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I like you, I was like starting to temper my expectations. Right, right. Forward. So now we're back in the dressing room and uh, Derek plays with a switchblade and talks to himself in the mirror I will say, like, at least someone had some semblance of, I don't know, I guess the ability of creating red herrings by having so many goddamn switchblades in this movie that maybe (laughs) you start, I mean, 
thinking to yourself, maybe there's more than one killer. I guess that's the idea. Uh, or maybe they just really like switchblades. They had a, uh, a sponsor in Johnson switchblades. Like if you find a better yeah, switchblade, you use it. Well, I mean, but like you said, Steve, like this is like a time capsule movie. And in the 80s, there were plenty of like bad guys in movies that had like right, switchblades. Especially you know? in canon movies. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. So I'm not too surprised. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, Derek, basically he's playing with the switchblade and he's uh, talking to himself in the mirror. And for some reason he decides to take some uh, ladies stockings and he's like cutting it with the switchblade and he stretches it over his head and for some reason pierces his ear. And this again is where I'm like, are they trying to say something about like sort of new wave culture or punk culture? Because like now he's kind of making himself look like someone that you would see in the crowd or something. And then little bit, he says to himself that he has a mental disorder and then he tears up some flowers. Like, what did you take away from this scene? I thought the same thing too. Like they were trying to like make some kind of weird comparison that like, Oh, you know, he's turning into like one of those people that listens to this kind of music. But like none of it makes sense. It's not followed up on and, if these people are like so bad, this audience is like so, you know, inherently, I, I, I don't know, evil yeah. or they're bad people. Why would a major network give them like this special where it's like being broadcast for hours because it's going over like four different time zones mm-hmm. uh, for this like New Year's Eve countdown? It's so, like it just like makes no sense if you stop and think about it. And that would be OK if the kills or and those other like slashery elements were like better. You know, then you can forgive a lot of like whatever it takes to get the plot to where it needs to go. Right. But I don't know, man. Unfortunately, like n- nothing's like executed particularly well. No, I mean, I'll just go ahead and say it's a pretty sort of weak script. I, I feel like, again, the canon executives were like, OK, there's not a lot of movies, uh, horror movies about uh, New Year's Eve. So we're doing that. And then you also have to include this hip new thing called New Wave. Now, you go ahead and write a script around it. And this is what they came out with. <laughs> and I just want to say uh, uh, earlier, Broken Bread said that uh, Phantom of the Paradise was one of De Palma's best. I think that Dress to Kill is his best. What's your favorite Brian De Palma movie? Yeah, hell. <laughs> uh, the, the one that Broken Bread likes. <laughs> But you haven't. You already admitted to not seeing it. I I don't say know. Say Mission Impossible. Anything. You seem like a Mission Impossible guy. Oh, Mission Impossible. Yeah, man. <laughs> I love uh, I love me some cruise. Who doesn't? I mean, he's got the highest. I love Scientology. Highest, That's why I'm in Florida. Got the highest Thetan levels in all the world. Oh. That's that's right. That's right. So now we're back in inside the Hotline Studio. Uh, another song plays, and it's uh, pretty good. And D takes a break. Uh, evil, and now we're back with evil. He's putting on a fake mustache, and uh, then, um, and that's just sort of a, a quick little scene. Then we're back with um, Lieutenant Ed, and uh, he tells D that evil is for real. Um, and uh, she's like, you know, f- kind of freaked out about it. Now we're back with evil again, and he enters a discotheque, and uh, all right, so you watched this today, so maybe you can help me out here. Uh, all right, so I wrote down, like, why does he need to wear a fake mustache? Because no one in the discotheque knows who he is. 
did, including right. the woman who he ends up murdering. Right? It's just some random woman. And this is the this is the only time that he like really hides his tries to like come up with a disguise too while he's murdering. Right? So like, why? I don't know. I I, I don't it's know. Like, it, and the mustache is it awful. Is, like, it's, it looks it's so, so bad. Like, and I, I was just like, man, if this is the 1980s and you can't look like a big shot unless you're wearing one of those, I guess, 1970s disco suits and a mustache, I guess, to do coke to do coke with, I, I guess. Uh, yeah. But yeah, it was, I don't know. It, it was cheesy, but it definitely, I liked it at least because it pushed this movie, which takes itself pretty seriously into campier territory. <laughs> Um, but unfortunately, it doesn't go any further beyond his fake mustache. Um, so, uh, yeah, Evil starts putting the moves on another woman. And, man, I mean, he just he just pulls tail left and right. Any woman that Evil wants, he gets. No problem. And, and Steve, like, I have no problem saying, like, hey, this is an attractive guy or whatever. This is He's not, like, particularly attractive. He's very average-looking. Yeah. He's... He's not like super charismatic either. Like, he's very just a very average kind of guy. Yep, you uh, know, a guy that works uh, I, bit I, parts in TV shows. <laughs> that kind of average. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, I now I, I guess he does uh, a good job of you know finding the right vi- kind of victims, right? Because he he does like tell like a story that he gets her to fall right. for. Um, and I did like that they at least made her give him an obstacle and made his victim seem a little bit more intelligent. Right. And she first appeared when he um, I can't remember where he went. He goes to the bathroom or something. I can't remember. And uh, he comes back and like now his victim is there with her roommate. She goes, well, you didn't think I'd just go somewhere alone with someone I just met, did you? Right. You know, yeah, so I mean, that was the one time they decided to use logic <laughs> in this script. Um, and uh, yeah, basically what happens is uh, I guess the, the girls go to the bathroom or you no, know, the girl goes to the bathroom He's like, I'll meet you up front, and they meet, and yeah, she's got a roommate there. Um, yeah, which, which is good. It gives him, uh, yeah, just some a little bit of um, a problem to overcome. So yeah, I wrote down that that's the fakest mustache ever in cinema. Now we're back at uh, Hollywood Hotline, and uh, Made in Japan performs this song called "Dumb Blondes," which was okay. It definitely sounded sort of new wavy not really moshable but whatever it was okay um (laughs) and then evil escorts his prey and her roommate to his car and now we're back with um um, lieutenant ed and d and he's asking her if um she recognizes like the voice even though it's distorted like any kind of mannerisms and she's like what are you crazy right um, yeah, these are all just sort of real short scenes. Uh, now we're, uh, we're back with evil. He's, uh, driving ladies in the car and man, they make, <laughs> they make Sally. That's the name of his, uh, future victim. So annoying. I guess they, yes. I guess they want us to like feel good about her death or something. <laughs> like, yes. like they wanted us to like, be like, God, somebody kill this bitch. Like we're, what did you think about that? <laughs> Yeah, no, I totally agree. Like, I, I don't know. It's very weird. Like, this movie, like, can you name a likable character in this movie? Um, Maybe Lieutenant Ed. Um, but, I mean, there's not a lot of characterization uh, for anyone else, aside from, like, the, same, the you know, the core, like, people of, uh, you know, D, her son, 
and the dad. But yeah, but none of them are none of them are particularly interesting. No, no. Uh, the victims aren't likable, so you don't really. I mean, I guess you should, as a human being, just feel bad for right. somebody getting murdered, right? But but there's nothing like in particular to make you like root for them to like live or yeah, whatever. Yeah, that, that's a good point. I mean, even like, at the very beginning, they, you know, Diane, they show her like you know neglecting her son and being like sort of like that typical uptight showbiz sort of prima donna and uh yeah that's a that's right. a good point I, th I think they tried i think like their goal was to make you feel sorry for derek mm -hmm. uh the son so that then at the end when they have the little twist you'd be like oh i've been bamboozled <laughs> uh but they don't really like do enough no, and yeah. <laughs> to make you feel for derek they don't give him enough character um and like like that thing where he pierces himself like they just make him come off like some like weirdo so you're like what right. I, I don't know too many mixed signals yeah here. this is a very middling script overall um so evil's driving the lady driving the ladies around as uh, sally talks about she's basically i would say your typical <laughs> like sort of california Ooh, I went and I did transcendental med meditation. And then once I was done with that, I did all mm. this other new age crap. And uh, you should do it too. And uh, yeah, basically the 80s version of a CrossFitter. <laughs> um, but, uh, and yeah, so Evil parks his car. Actually, it's the roommate who asks for a pit stop. And so he pulls over to like a liquor store and gives her like, I don't know, like a hundred dollar bill or something. A hundred dollar bill. Says, go in there and buy the biggest bottle of champagne you can possibly get. So she grabs. Which I guess is supposed to like make it so that it takes her longer <laughs> to come back. <laughs> right, right. I mean, at least they're putting a little thought into it, I guess. Um, yeah. I mean, and I will say like, you know, uh, okay, obviously someone's going to have to break a hundred. So that will make it take a little longer, but. We're talking about you're adding maybe an extra 30 seconds right. to the yeah, trip. Talk, exactly. And I thought it was funny that, uh, I mean, they actually shoot inside the liquor store and they show um, the roommate uh, going through the transaction. And then when she comes out, surprise, surprise, the evil mobile has like driven away. But she, dun, yeah, dun, so dun. immediately you think, oh, he drove away and is now murdering her somewhere. But... Sally's roommate looks down and she sees a shoe with a little blood on it. And then she sees another, she walks a little bit further down the alley and sees another shoe. And then <laughs> I think this might be the best scene in the whole movie. I, I agree. Uh, I agree. This cracked lifts me up. up um, the uh, dumpster and you're expecting to see the, like, like the lid for yeah. the dumpster. She's not the Hulk. She doesn't lift up. Right. The right. Dumpster. My, my mistake. She lifts up the lid to the dumpster, looks inside and you're expecting to see Sally's body what does she see instead? She instead sees our good buddy Kip uh, Nevin, aka what's his name, Richard Sullivan, evil. I think. Yeah, he uh, sees evil. Yeah, he's like ah. So, <laughs> she sees he's evil. in there waiting for her. Just as she lifts it up, yeah. he has the foresight to um, turn on a lighter. That way, it can actually oh, that's right. illuminate inside the dumpster so we can see it as the audience. Yeah. And it's just the cheesiest looking thing. And also, it makes no sense. And so, yeah. And then I think it pretty much cuts like with her screaming. So, And he's like pulling her into the dumpster yeah, yeah. and, uh, and yet, killing her. So just walk me through the logic behind that. How, how did that work out? Well, first, he kills Sally, right? And I don't think we talked about how... 
he how he killed her. He like uh right because he's like oh yeah I got some weed basically. Oh yeah, skipped uh, over that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and and, he, and he's like, so he has like a bag, like a clear plastic bag. He's like, oh, it's real good stuff. Have a whiff, and he puts it up to her face. There's something in the bag, and it's very obvious. There's something in the bag, and she goes to smell it, but then she very generously, because he wants to strangle her with this tra- with this plastic bag, she helps him put it on her. I don't know if you noticed, like he tries to start putting it on. It's not quite going on. She like grabs it and like pushes her own head That's into it. It's very nice of the, the anyway, actress to help uh, sell the work. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. It, it reminds me of that, that TNA pay-per-view where, like, Bubba was supposed to go through a table and, like, he laid on the first table and it just broke. It just shattered. <laughs> and it's, and then he got, like, they worked themselves to another spot where, like, there's another table out. And obviously, for those that don't know, tables in wrestling, when somebody goes through it, the table's been pre-cut. Mm-hmm. Shh. <laughs> um, but obviously, these tables, like, they went too far in the pre-cutting. So, like, Bubba very gently, he gets punched once and, like, very gently places himself on the table and then jeff hardy has to go through many it's it's awful uh kind of reminded me of that mm. but yeah and then i guess after he like suffocates sally uh evil is like well let me i guess cut her to get some blood on the shoe because there's no blood when he kills her he just suffocates right. her uh so you know i guess he cuts her then he like places the shoe out there he because he leaves like a trail basically to the dumpster because then, like, there's, like, a piece of clothing from Sally's dress or something that he, like, has sticking out of the dumpster mm-hmm. lid. So I guess he's just hoping she'll see the shoe, won't be like, oh, fuck, there's blood, let me call the police, <laughs> and instead it will just investigate herself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I guess he just knows his victims, you know? Yeah, I mean, that was a... I, w- I would say it's a nice little uh, subverting of expectations because I really just thought she was going to find uh, the body of Sally in there, but it's <laughs> there lighter oh man it's hilarious uh if you haven't yeah and, and the thing is like it, it's fine that um you know it's a little weird right like the setup to like get her to go to the dumpster mm-hmm. but because it was like a fun kind of stupid it, they, even though we don't see the kill it was like a fun setup like you're willing to forgive the ridiculousness of like him leaving this trail and unfortunately this doesn't really happen again in the movie yeah, where we get this like, is super basically the kill. apex of the movie here uh they should have done yeah if they would have put more thought into other scenes like this then this really could have been something uh special uh not saying it's not wait till the end uh so <laughs> let's see um evil removes his disguise as a squad car drives by then two cops find Sally and her roommate at a kid's park. And uh, it's really funny when they find the uh, the way they find, I think it's uh, the roommate's body, when they're just, it's like a really tight shot of, um, I guess they just find sort of the bottom of the slide and the body just slides down the slide. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah. Nice yeah. try, but it doesn't really make any sense. Like, they no, would have it really seen doesn't. the body while they were approaching the slide. Like, it was so stupid. Um, <laughs> so, yes. Um, now, all right. Now, Evil is on the prowl in his car, and he's dressed as a priest. He he's eyeing a picture of a nun, and he accidentally hits a biker. Um, so, I guess the idea is that he now. Uh, wants to go and uh, murder this uh, nun but now there's a gang of bikers after him (laughs) i hate when that happens uh so he um, drives away from them and hides in a drive-in movie theater 
But unfortunately for him, the bikers follow him because, <laughs> I mean, they have motorcycles, you know? Uh, so he takes <laughs> off on foot and uh, runs into one of the bikers and he stabs him. And then he steals a car from two kids making out. He throws the dude out, but the girl stays in the back of the car. Um, the girl uh, escapes from the car. And then um, because evil is forced to stop the car because of two random drunk dudes that just show up out of nowhere. Uh, your thoughts on any of... Celebrating New yeah. Year's. I mean, they are celebrating New Year's. They're defense. Two random guys out of nowhere. I don't It's funny. Uh, yeah, it was mm-hmm. I, it was just set up this running away scene uh, where the victim is trying sure. to run away or whatever. Sure, sure. By the way, interestingly enough, because um, I was like, oh, somebody uploaded this to YouTube. They, there must not be any nudity in this movie. Uh, well, there is, uh, kind of. You see some uh, some boob. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, just a heads up for uh, all you, those who all are. All you gorilla tricky. perverts out there, gorilla masked perverts yeah. out there. Because uh, <laughs> and this director's. Uh, previous work um the three-way weekend there is also nudity on youtube there if you want to check it out so perving up perving up uh obscurity (laughs) now your place to find out where to where to see uh nudity on youtube all the best softcore you never knew you needed Uh, so um (laughs) this uh girl she's hiding under a shack as uh evil closes in and right as he finds her a uh, very poorly acted cop uh shows up he's like hey you over there police stop um and um but evil gets away as it normally does now uh Mm. we're back at hotline hollywood and uh during a commercial lieutenant ed makes an announcement to all the punks and they're all disrespectful saying get off the stage pig and stuff like that and he says if anyone leaves, they can't come back in because they're really locking down the security. I mean, heaven forbid you should just call off the show, you know, because people might lose their yes, lives. Yes. But <laughs> this is Hollywood, baby. The show must go on. So uh, <laughs> Lieutenant Ed brings in a psychiatrist to D. And uh, <laughs> I have to say, this guy's like delivery and just overly hammy performance was pretty awesome. Um, he yeah. tells her, basically, I would say it mirrors, um, Donald Pleasance in the original Halloween. I mean, that's, uh, that's basically the only reason he's here. They're just like, oh, we gotta, we gotta g- have someone give a Donald Pleasant style monologue. So they bring in this guy <laughs> and he's basically like, blah, 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 blah. And he's most likely going to try to kill D at midnight. And, um, what did you think of the psychiatrist? <laughs> I mean, it was fine. Uh, it, it did feel kind of just, like, random, though, because this guy just, like, pops up. Like, we have no idea before this, unless I missed it, that a psychiatrist had even been called in. Uh, he's never so, seen again. Yeah. Never seen again. So uh, Derek is creeping nearby during their exchange, and uh, he's still wearing, like, the pantyhose and, like, the glasses, uh, which, ironically... In the very early days of Devo, they used to dress like that on stage. So that was a real... Uh, oh, so you must have been real, t- once again, turned on by another performance. Oh, man, I was having uh, a sure. three-way weekend, baby. Uh, <laughs> Ooh, I don't want to know what that means. Uh, <laughs> I don't know what it means either. So uh, I don't want to be a witness at your debate. <laughs> that's all. 
Uh, well, who else am I going to call? So uh, I'm I'm not reliable, Steve. You you know you know my record. Sorry, officer. He was drunk at the time, and he's currently drunk. Uh, but so now we're back with evil. He exits a cab outside of the Hollywood Hotline studio, and he sees that the cops aren't letting anyone in. He creeps around to a back entrance, and uh, this is I mean just one of those where you have to sort of suspend your disbelief. He's like, uh, hey, hey, officer, like, do you remember his excuse for getting the cop to leave his post? He's like, there's a drunk guy over here or something like that. Oh, yeah. I, I know. I think that's literally what he yells, something yeah. like that. Like, oh, there's a guy that's drunk uh, over here. So uh, I, I don't think they're trying to make a commentary about L.A. cops or anything, but he stupidly leaves the entrance and then evil takes him out with a brick. <laughs> Uh, just a as you, know, you do. just a brick laying down on the on the ground. So we get another performance by Made in Japan, and then uh, Evil steals the cop's uniform, and he walks right into the building because I mean that's just how '80s cops were back then. Uh, then Evil changes clothes yet again, right in the hallway. Nobody sees him, and then D enters her dressing room uh, with a cop. This is uh, Officer Green. <laughs> And uh, he investigates the premises, and uh, then he almost shoots Derek. I don't really understand the point of this scene. Uh, and then Derek leaves angry, and then the cop exits. Basically, she's like, hey, can you have a minute, or can I have a minute so I can change or something? And he's like, okay. So uh, he leaves, and then big surprise, evil is in there wearing a mask. And then it turns out... All right, wait, everybody. Suspense, suspense building. Turns out that all this time, evil is Richard D's husband. <gasps> was... But we knew that. We had already seen her husband. Like, no. we had already seen him as her husband way at the beginning of no, the movie. No, they never showed him as her husband, though. She's like, literally talks to him. She has a conversation no. with him about no, Derek. No, he, they talks about him, but they never show his face. You never know that he is her husband. Never. Oh really? Oh, I guess I recognize his voice. That's uh, why he, because I was like, oh, it's that's that why guy. he used the um, voice um, distorter. So yeah, but but we but we see him kill people as himself and talking his regular right, voice. Right, right. But he's ne we never see like D or Derek be like, oh, I miss Dad, and then here's a picture of him right here. We never know what he. F right, but okay, okay. Let, let me put it this way. All right, so I I, I don't I thought we saw his face at the beginning, but uh, I guess not. And when he first has his does his first kill. Mm -hmm. With, or really his second kill with the nurse, and we see his, like, and he's talking in his regular voice. I guess I recognize that from, like, his conversation with her, because I was like, oh, her husband's the killer. Like, I mean, it's not hard to figure out, like, either way, because... No, it's not. It, yeah, 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 I'm no Columbo. <laughs> I mean, just because they... No Angela Lansbury. <laughs> R.I.P. To, to both of them. Uh, no uh, James <laughs> Rockford. Um, yeah. But anyway, uh, that... I'm no... Uh, Sherlock Holmes, Magnum PI. Well, 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 no, yeah, yeah, it has to be like not, not as big as Sherlock right, right. Holmes. So, yeah, I'm no Magnum PI. I'm no Richard Grieco, the market. Ah, <laughs> yes, <laughs> nailed it, nailed it. All right, let's finish this up. So, uh, so yeah, basically, he's like, uh, oh, ho, ho, it's this was supposed to be the surprise that I was going to show up and actually support you in your career, my. Uh, my darling wife. Like, that's what Derek was trying to tell you. Ha ha ha. Um, Think about this. 
I was going to surprise you by supporting yeah. you. Well, we show up. <laughs> he's a uh, he's a pretty shitty husband, um, as we're going to see. Yeah. So, uh, well, apparently, you know, she, well, I, we'll find out what his motivations are soon. The Like just the lamest you could possibly imagine. But anyway, so evil, AKA Richard creeps over to a circuit breaker. Um, he, uh, also sort of introduces himself to the cops, uh, to, to officer green. He's like, uh, don't shoot me officer green. I'm her husband. And then has uh, D back him up. So uh, anyway, yeah. So after that, Evil, aka Richard, creeps over to the circuit breaker. Lieutenant Ed gets a call saying uh, Richard's car was found at a drive-in, and this now they basically know that he's the killer, and uh, they go after him. D and um, Officer Green are in the elevator. <laughs> this is all right. They never they never say what Richard's job is, right? Like, I mean, what he does. No, it, it sounds like this is a real uh, gem and the hologram situation where uh, Blaze makes all the money, right? And uh, what's his face? Uh, evil slash Richard. He doesn't work, right? He's because he talks about like his allowance. He's from a him. house husband, which I mean, <laughs> that really that's like the boyfriend from Gem and the Holograms. <laughs> I would love to be a house husband. We could add that to the list. Uh, so yeah, Richard. But the, or so this is why I asked that because out of nowhere, Richard is MacGyvering this like elevator control slash circuit breaker. Yeah, apparently he's like a master electrician slash elevator engineer because not just anybody can like work on elevators. Like you need to know like you know certain specific things. Like like it's a a, a trade that you have to like really study for and be certified right. for. But. I guess Richard's got a lot of free time, baby. <laughs> he knew he was going to need to like sort of Jimmy rig an elevator. So he went to the local library because they didn't have the internet back then and studied up right, right. on the, the plans. He, 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 he opened up the microfiche <laughs> uh, for the elevator. Nice. He opened up his copy of Encyclopedia Britannica and uh, yeah. <laughs> went to town. But yeah, so... Richard is messing around with this elevator circuit breaker, which like causes the elevator to malfunction and I guess drop really fast. And it uh, also causes um, Diane and Officer Green to basically pass out, more or less. Um, I mean, well, I think Officer Green gets killed. No, no, he's not killed yet. Um, oh, do we see him because later? Because he walks into the elevator, he being uh, evil slash Richard. And he knocks out Officer Green. You're right. You're right. He like hits yeah, him again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then, um, I guess throws him out of the elevator because they don't really sh sort of show what happens to him after that. But um, and that and anyway, he um, wakes up D, and um, basically uh, sits next to her like very sort of creepily in the elevator mm -hmm. and starts admitting that he was evil. And uh, and here's his right. He he like plays back a recording from one of the murders that right. she already he heard. Does that yeah. And um, his reasons for doing this. Okay, I'll help mm. me and uh, correct me if I'm wrong. Okay, so as Yael was saying, he's fed up being a house husband and being emasculated, and also that. Um, well, 
I think he was more like fed up with not getting his allowance on time or something like that. I can't remember. But he complains about the money he's getting. Well, see, from there's her. a couple. Like there's so many reasons. No, you're right. You're 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 right. You're right. This is uh, a buildup of reasons. Yeah, and uh, like on top of that, he's also sick of not only her, but the fact that she's like all the women in his life, which they never alluded to or never showed anything. He says women are deceitful and manipulative and like the whole time i'm watching like this you know typical sort of you know the killer does his like monologue or reveal thing it's just like how like boringly delivered it was uh by one kid given how unscary unbelievable he was the whole time right he's basically like an incel that somehow ended up getting married and he's still mad about the time that he was an incel because he's complaining about how the women before her used him and manipulated him and she's just like them. Right. And then, uh, continue. And granted, he had oper- like earlier in this movie, like his victims like are women that he's seducing, you know, uh, or at the very least flirting with and making out with. So like he why is he complaining about the way she is with men? I guess he probably feels justified. I guess. And plus at the same time, I mean, all right. So they also... <laughs> Gosh, he is like, you know, the perfect storm of just uh, quote unquote psycho killer or whatever, because the cops also mentioned that he was actually in that sanitarium that he went to at the beginning, that he was committed at one point. Did you catch that? Oh, I missed that. I and missed that. It's like, that. how could, how could have. As I told you offline, Steve, I at times had difficulty with paying attention to this. Yeah, I mean, with good cause, with good cause. And like, how could Diane like not know that from like the man that she married actually spent time in an insane asylum? I mean, I guess information was harder to come by back then, but uh... right, right. She she couldn't ask for a Carfax report on his <laughs> uh, uh, past. Carfax references. That's what people tune into uh, for here at uh, Obscurity yes. Now. So uh, yeah. So anyway, Richard takes D. The cops begin to patrol the building. Richard wraps a chain around D and attaches it to the elevator. He does his little MacGyver thing to the elevator controls, and then it raises D all the she's dangling from the elevator, and it Yeah, and actually these scenes were pretty yeah, cool. I mean this is this is definitely something that hadn't been seen before, uh, that I know of, in at least a slasher, an 80s slasher. And, like, what a weird sort of random thing, like, that they just wrote it in. I mean, again, because it symbolizes nothing. It doesn't support the theme because there is no theme. <laughs> and it's just like, hey, wouldn't yeah. it be cool looking if he attached his final victim to an elevator and raised it all the way to the top? That's like... Well, and we, we should we should be a little more specific. Like, she's not just attached to the elevator. She's, like, dangling from the bottom right. of Inside the elevator. The so, basically... Inside the shaft, right. So she is like beneath the floor. So if the elevator goes all the way down to the first floor, eventually she'll literally be squashed mm-hmm. underneath the elevator. Yep. So it's actually like a pretty like cool little set piece. Probably didn't cost a lot of money. They dangled a real person. You see them moving their yep. legs around. Like I appreciate that somebody got paid $20 on a hot dog. <laughs> no, they got paid a, a Coke and a hot dog for this. Probably. That's like the standard uh, canon rate. <laughs> Right, right. So, yeah, I mean, it's pretty cool to see that shot of her, like, being, like, dragged up the elevator shaft, uh, hanging from underneath it. 
Uh, doesn't she see like somebody else's dead yeah, body that's like when the, she gets to the, the top? Cherry on the um, the cake there. She gets to the top and sees Yvonne from the beginning. I guess he stashed her body up there. Um, oh, that's right. That's nice right. Nice little callback, I suppose. Um, so now Lieutenant Ed and the cavalry they find Richard. Uh, they have a little shootout and they end up shooting the elevator control box. But somehow Richard gets away. But the cops are uh, hot on his trail right behind him. Richard shoots a cop as he runs up to the roof. Richard then puts on the previous, is it's a Nixon mask, right? The mask that he wears? Uh, is it? Ish, I don't know. Ish mask. For no reason. And this is like a thing like, the mask, they, there's no buildup to it or a reason for him to wear it. Like, you don't even see it at the beginning. It was just like, hey, the marketing department decided that they needed, like, a Halloween mask to try to sell that year or something. So let's write it in. Right. He, um, he puts on the Nixon mask. And then <laughs> this was, oh, the most pretentious, like, cheesiest thing they could have possibly have done here. He starts quoting uh, Shakespeare. Uh, which uh, King yep. Lear, I think, or no, Hamlet, I don't know. And he jumps off the roof, he turns into a dummy and dies. <laughs> <laughs> by turning into a dummy, I mean, they just threw a dummy off the top of the roof. Um, How dare Kip not commit to the part and jump off well, the Well, what did you think of all that? The Nixon mask, the Shakespeare, the dummy? Well, I, I the mask thing is like weird because, and I guess it is. It's like a cross of like an, it's like a bit of a Nixon mask in the face, but it also has like kind of clown like makeup, mm-hmm. um, and the color is like a whitish off white gray. Mm-hmm. So, um, why did they just now bring out this mask? Like, it just kind of felt like why is he putting it on? Everybody already knows what he looks like. Doesn't he put it on in front of a cop? Well, he put it on in front of um. Well, yeah, I guess, like, technically he did. First, he put it on in front of uh, D uh, when he was in that dressing room. And then, yeah, for no reason, he put it on, like, before the chase scene, I think, is when he put it on. I, the, the, the mask pretty much only exists, so that, like, spoiler alert, Derek, his son, puts it on later. That's the only reason why the mask it's, exists. It's uh, really tacked on, just like his reason for all these murders. Oh, and that's, like, the... I, I guess I missed the sort of the main reason slash premise for this entire movie. The reason why he was murdering people at the stroke of midnight was because he was basically resolving to be done with her. <laughs> right? Yeah. He was going to start. He, he said something about he's going to start his new life at midnight. Without her. Yeah. Fresh. Right. The- and he was also mad that, like, he makes a big deal about the fact that, like, their son got a part on some TV show, and when he auditioned, he didn't tell them that he was their, her her son, so he didn't use, like, his real last name or something, and he got the part all on his own. Yeah, and then, and she didn't care, um, and that's one of the reasons right. why, yeah. Like, but it's not that she didn't care, she never found out, because, like you said earlier, she had to, like, kind of cut the conversation with her son short to go, like, whatever. Right, yeah, there's just so many flimsy reasons for him to be a murder yeah. murderer that it, they really all amount to nothing <laughs> um, right and and it's like again like are we supposed to like like his motives right. like because earlier they try to make his son seem i feel like the goal like i said was to make his son seem sympathetic mm. and part of the reason for richard's motives is to defend his son right you know and the way he's been treated but eh, 
I mean, I mean, Richard's not great. The mom's not great. Like, like, I don't care about any of these people. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if Richard would have not, you know, turned into a dummy and fallen off the roof, like, if he somehow would have succeeded with uh, killing D, I'm like, eh. So, there, so there's one less, like, TV show host. Eh, like, yeah. Uh, but, Who was uh, not involved in her son's life. Right, and, uh, right. All right. So, uh, all right, Derek then cradles his dad's, like, bloody corpse in his arms, and he takes the Nixon mask. And then they come, and they load D into the ambulance. And then as they're driving away, or before they drive away, the camera pans away from D to the driver of the ambulance, and it's Derek wearing the Nixon mask. And laying in the passenger seat below is the body of the ambulance driver, and then they drive away, and then they play the same song that they played at the beginning, Fade to Black, Roll Credits, and that is New Year's Evil. What did you think of that ending, Yehel Velasquez? Boy, uh, if they had, I don't know, spent more time with Derek, making us think Derek was a good guy, uh, you know, still leave like a little bit of a breadcrumb because you don't want it to come completely out of nowhere, but I... I I, would, I didn't expect it per se, but I just didn't care enough about Derek, so I didn't care about this twist. Right, yeah, I mean, Canon was all about the sequels. Like, they used to film, like, multiple films in a row uh, so they could save money, and uh, I'm sure they wanted to have this become a franchise like Halloween or Friday the 13th, but right. uh, they didn't do a good job on the script. So, I mean, I imagine even audiences back then were probably didn't care by the time this movie ended. And I know I didn't <laughs> by the time it was all over. I mean, if the thing that stands out to me most about the two things that stand out to me most about this movie is number one, it takes place during New Year's Eve, which is not something you get every day in a slasher movie. And number two, all like the new wave exploitation and how it doesn't really work. Like, and of course, yeah, him in the dumpster with his lighter. Uh, but um, I don't know anything else to add before we render our verdicts. No, no, I think you covered it uh, pretty well, Steve. All right, let's do this thing. All right, Agent Velasquez. Do you think that New Year's Evil should be tossed in the black void of obscurity, never to be heard from again, or should it be remembered for all of cinema history? For me, I'm going to say toss this one to the bin. Uh, wasn't memorable. It, it was bad, but like no, not so bad it's good. Just kind of boring, bland. And yeah, uninteresting character, uninteresting performances, uh, and outside of like the dumpster thing and the elevator thing that we talked about, pretty uninteresting as a whole. What what say yay, ye, Stephen? <laughs> I say yay uh, that you are pretty much correct in everything you said there. Um, if you're, I mean, I'm a big fan of like new wave and punk from the '80s. And even that doesn't really save this movie for me. I mean, this is like a one watch. Like, I don't know if this is even considered a cult classic. I know it got a uh, pretty big um, Blu-ray release uh, not too long ago. But, um, but yeah, as you said, it's um, not so bad. It's good. It takes itself, like, too seriously. Like, there's not enough fun, not memorable enough right. kills. It's all so middling 
that it's all uh, forgettable and and it, and it's too bad because it's not a bad idea for premise. premise is good. Premise is good. It just wasn't uh, executed all that great. Um, <laughs> I'd be interested to see. And what's that? I, I'm just really surprised that like they didn't do anything to build tension to each kill, right? Because it's like, okay, you have like a, it, they're doing like these time zones, right? There's an hour between each one. Uh, for most of them and it's like why didn't you do like a thing okay we've got one hour to find the next victim you know kind of a thing you know it's like nothing done to like build tension or like a sense of urgency Mm -hmm. and i don't know man i I could see somebody like doing a not that it would take much but doing a better job with like this concept i agree i agree it's a good uh premise and if it hasn't been remade it uh probably should be but it sounds like uh we are in agreement Therefore, New Year's Evil shall be obliterated. The heathens have spoken. You are obliterated. Oh, well. Quite a way to uh, start off the new year, Steve. Uh. (laughs) With an obliteration. (laughs) Hey, I was uh, disappointed. I thought this was going to be good. Um, I would say I... I, it didn't reach the level of disappointment that I had with uh, Thanks Killing Three, but uh, it was close. Yeah, like yeah. I, I wanted this to be good. <laughs> Basically, I wanted it to have you know over the top kills. And, yeah, I uh, thought it was, exactly. Like, because I mean, that's I mean, Canon is usually known for like fast pace, uh, like violence, and um, yeah, and this really didn't have. Um, it just didn't have that. It wasn't the Canon way, um, but. Uh, yeah, so uh, it is what it is. Um, but uh, before we sign off, I don't know, anything you want to say about New Year's or resolutions or what what you expect from the year 2023? Eh, I mean, I'm not the kind of person that I, I don't usually make resolutions. The only thing I try to do every year, which I might not even bother this year, is uh, I try to go vegetarian uh, Why would you every want to year. do that? Well, I mean, I do feel bad about eating animals. Uh, that's really the only reason, but they are delicious. Yael Velasquez, he loathes humans, but doesn't want to eat animals. What a yeah. interesting uh, But uh, I, I think last year I made it like the longest thing. I made it maybe like uh, three weeks last year. Uh, but I don't think I'm going to bother because, you know, it's hard for me to get in that much protein. and uh, Got to have that protein. And plus, got to have them chiseled looks. You know, that's more important than animals. To if me, you consume the soul of the animal, it helps keep you younger and more virile. Oh, so you can have oh, a three-way weekend. <laughs> well, I, know, I, I can't be virile anymore, Steve. As you may have heard. Oh, God. Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> I have had a vasectomy, Steve. Right. Okay. Then more sexually active then? What? It'll make you more if you consume the soul. Oh, the, uh, yeah, sure, sure, yeah. Uh, In in your mind, you're like, how could I possibly be more sexually active? (laughs) I'm like, I'm like, I need a break, Steve. I'm like the Ric Flair over here, the Ric Flair of uh, Tampa, Florida. I'm trying to have sex, less sex, and more lovemaking in the new year. (laughs) Yes. See, now that's a resolution I think anyone can get behind what, what about you steve uh what were you new oh my new year's resolution is to fund um issue two of escape to i have Earth. a feeling <laughs> thank you for bringing that up i mean it launched uh the kickstarter launched in december i mean 
we're at uh, 25%, which I'm really surprised it got that far because everyone says you're, you shouldn't launch a crowdfunding campaign during Christmas. But uh, I'm not going to let a thing like Christmas get in the way of me and my ambitions of making it in the comic <laughs> book industry. And uh, yeah, and, uh, but one thing that will get in the way is if the book is not funded. So if you're into comics and you like uh, dinosaurs and action, especially like 80s and 90s style canon action, if you will, then uh, please head on over to Kickstarter. There will be a link in the description. Uh, you can purchase issue one and help issue two uh, get made. And uh, I'm gonna run a promo for the, um, the book before we sign off here. Is there anything else you'd like to add, Yehel, before we sign off here? Uh, no, just everybody uh, have a happy new year and uh, don't watch New Year's Evil today or any other day. <laughs> I mean, maybe watch it. Tell, tell us if we're wrong. You know, that's one thing I always forget to ask. Like, give us your feedback about Escape, <laughs> Escape to Earth. New Year's Evil. Give us Steve your... does not want your feedback about Escape to Earth. No. He has already made his decision, his mind up, about how good his own comic is. I just is. want your money, to be honest. Uh, just like <laughs> one Rob Liefeld, who, if you criticize his work in any way, he will hunt you down via social media and make you apologize. But then, you know, that would never... He, but Rob Liefeld, in his defense, he doesn't want your money. He wants your devotion. God that you should see the people in that Facebook group that I'm in because they are devoted. All right, uh, we'll be back with something uh, next Sunday once we figure it out. Um, thanks so much for uh, watching this episode. And yes, why don't you let us know if you've seen it, what you think about uh, Christmas yeah. evil, <laughs> New Year's and Evil. Obligatory, and obligatory, we, we actually like Rob Liefeld. Yes, yes, of course we do. All right, so... We'll see you next Sunday as we continue to unearth even more obscure media only on Obscurity Now. Bye-bye. I'm having a weird, weird day. The name's Adam. Where I'm from, I'm known as the Zero Thief. Depending on who you ask, some might say I'm the best thief. But believe it or not, even the best screws up every once in a while. And that's what I did, and I had to make a fast getaway. I ended up crash landing on this bizarre planet. Turns out, I didn't get away fast enough. These winged freaks followed me here. It's just us here, Zero Thief, on this empty backwoods planet. So start talking, either to me or my blade. Okay, okay, I do have something to tell you. It's about the planet. It's not that empty. <laughs> Come on, man, I thought you were gonna die. Come on, Lewis. Cut me loose, behind you. Whoa! Ah! Thought I was done for. It was gonna be a light snack for a snarling creature. But then, she showed up, riding on the back of one of those monsters like it was nothing. And with a wave of her hand, the other razor-toothed beast just stomped away. I'd never seen anyone like her before in my life. I thought I'd say something clever. Thanks, uh, have you seen my ship? She gave me a look that said more than words ever could, because I think she was trying to read my mind or something. And from there, things just got even weirder. Issue 2, crowdfunding now.
you've been enjoying Obscurity Now, a podcast that's recorded live to tape and streamed to Twitch and YouTube. Subscribe so you never miss an episode or hilarious quip. Take us with you by following the download links provided in the show notes to wherever you get podcasts. And take notice of our various social media links. If that's what you're into, I'm not here to judge. And make sure you join us live next week at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific as we continue to discuss more obscure media only on Obscure Now.